Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas and this is our Wednesday show where this week we're doing something a little different and letting Marianne take the reins. We're bringing back one of my favorite interviews of hers all year, which is when she sat down at Disrupt and interviewed Henrique Dubugras, the co-CEO of Brex and a co-founder, and Anu Hariharan, Y Combinator's Managing Director for Continuity and an early Brex investor. The reason I love the interview is that it's been quite the eventful year for Brex. I mean, it raised at a $12.3 billion valuation, but then it pivoted and it had layoffs. And there are so many questions about how it's kind of looking to the future, which we get some good real human answers for. So stay tuned for a throwback, but a good one that I think you guys will all enjoy. Always sort of surreal to be interviewing someone in person that I've just talked to on the phone or in Zoom, so I'm still kind of adjusting. That's very cool. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, so Founder Journey. Tell us about when you first started Brex. I believe you were in your early 20s. Yeah, so um, the, the, the founding story, you know, in a quick way, is I uh, was born and raised in Brazil. And out of high school, I started a payments business in Brazil that did payment processing, so kind of like Stripe of Brazil. Mm-hmm. And then after selling that company, moved to the U.S. to go to college, and then dropped out to start Brex in fintech. Actually, the first idea that we got into YC wasn't actually in fintech. It was a VR company. Oh, really? Yeah, because you know when we sold the last company, we were tired of fintech. We're like all these banks and regulators. It's so complicated. You know, we're now in Silicon Valley. We want to do something in the bleeding edge of technology. So VR seemed like it. A um, few weeks into YC, we realized we had no clue what we were doing, <laughs> uh, and decided to pivot into Brex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Brex, the first kind of value proposition we realized was that there's all these startups that had raised millions of dollars and they couldn't get a corporate card. And we're like, that makes absolutely no sense. How can you have raised three, four, five million dollars and still not be able to get a corporate card? So, you know, that's what we decided to do early on. Yeah, so the last time you were Disrupt was three years ago. You were launching Brex Cash at that time. And there were billboards all over the city, right? With, you, know, you couldn't pass a bus stop without seeing Brex on a billboard. You're aggressively marketing to startups in kind of an old school way. But then earlier this year, you kind of had a shift in strategy. You announced that you were um, making a push into software. You're going to be focusing on the enterprise. And then this summer, you do, talked about no longer working with SMBs and non-professionally funded startups. Now, this kind of surprised a lot of people, upset a lot of people. Really just want to understand what what led to that decision when when you were born as the company that was building a corporate credit card for startups. What led to this decision and such a change in your strategy? Absolutely. So um, just to explain that, um, you know, it takes a little bit of history. So we started Brex corporate card for startups, right? And honestly, that is still a lot of our core business. And if you look at our revenue, this majority of the revenue comes from startups that uh, we acquired, you know, five years ago, and they became kind of like larger companies and startups that we acquired today. And then as every company, we needed to expand, right? We're doing this corporate card for startup thing. We launched Brex Cash, which is, you know, our business account for startups. Where do we go from here? And we had a couple options. We could go to okay, we're doing Brex for startups, then we go do Brex for e-commerce, right? Another vertical. Then startups are small businesses, so why not get traditional small businesses? That was another idea. And then the third idea was like, hey, let's go into the mid-market and large companies because we had companies that started with us and you know, scaled all the way, so let's serve them. And we had raised a good amount of capital, so we're like, why not do all of these? 
And I think what we realized at Astara Founder is that in our journey is that it's really hard to do all of these at the same time. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to pick and choose, no matter how much money you raise, because it's not about the money, it's about the focus of the organization. It's about, you know, what are your leaders spending time on? And what happened is when we um, started serving uh, more traditional SMBs, right, and, you know, and it's a hard delineation between what's an SMB, what's a startup. Uh, you know, at Brexit, it's very clear, but externally, it's a little bit more complicated. We realized that, you know, we went from onboarding a few hundred startups every month to onboarding five, 10,000 SMBs every month. And everything started breaking and, you know, the kind of like everything that you would expect if you just multiply all your volumes by 10. And then what happened with that is we started our core customer, which was the startups, we started not serving them as well as we wanted to because we were, you had so many small businesses and the ones that were growing, which is a lot of our best customers that started with us, started to say, hey, like, you know, in order for me to stay with you all the way through, I need some new features and functionality. So then as a founder, you know, we came to this like super hard moment and decision to say, okay, what do we do? Where do we focus? And we decided to focus on our core customer, which are the startups. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we made a super hard decision to offboard a lot of the more traditional SMBs in order to keep serving our core market. Because what we realized is that our value proposition for startups was number one, you can stay with us from the beginning till IPO and beyond, right? Like a lot of times our customers, when we talk to them, they're like, look, I don't want to use a tool that I'm going to have to switch out to something more mature later. I want to go with something that can start today and stay until I go IPO and beyond. So we needed to like solve that, right? So I think that's kind of what led us to the strategy of focusing on the startups that were growing in our base. So, and focusing on the, you know, startups plus mid-market and enterprise as well. I know, I'm curious. When Brex, you're an early investor in the company, by the way, in case those of you didn't realize. Um, when Brex started contemplating this move and discussed it with yeah. you, what were your first thoughts? I mean, did you think, okay, this is a good idea or did you have your doubts? Yeah, no, I think like, first of all, I think to give you all some perspective, 2020 and 2021 were very different years for pretty much every startup, right? Like the world, we were in a pandemic, we were in a remote world. And what did that mean for startups that Brex was servicing? Everything had changed. So if you look at when Brex started in 2017, pretty much all YC startups were in person. They all had less than 10 employees, they were in person. And in 2020 and 2021, startups had to be remote first. There was no other option. So now the Brex card could no longer just work for a US employee. It had to work for employees globally. So it was not surprising from the sense that, you know, they started with a core product that was exceptionally valuable. I would say, for example, when they first launched it in the YC batch, I think the first batch itself, greater than 80% of startups signed up for Brex because it was not possible to get a credit card within 24 hours in 2017 in spite of getting an investment. And fast forward four years later, suddenly the archetype of a startup looks different. You know, 42% of YC startups are international. Greater than 35% of YC startups now recognize themselves as remote first off the bat. So Brex had to really adapt their startup product in 2020 and 2021. So when you have that 
plus a new customer SMB. So the discussion was really, okay, let's figure out what to do one thing really well versus try and do two to three things really well because that's just hard. So because startups are resource constrained more than capital constrained, mm -hmm. right? So, and when you think about where to put all your resources, you know, it was a very honest discussion at the board level in terms of, okay, who's our core segment and we want to continue service that segment. That segment looks different now. Their needs are different. So let's double down on that. Okay, that's interesting. But this summer when it did happen and you did make the announcement, there were a lot of upset people. And I think a lot of startups or some startups felt kind of abandoned or, you know, the smaller ones that, that you were no longer serving. Because you, you know, you were one of the fastest growing fintechs, right? Very buzzy, you made such a name for yourself in the startup world. So it, there were some shock waves. And I suspect you may not have expected the, the fallout or the, I guess, the backlash that you got. So tell us, like, what did you learn from that? Were you surprised by what happened? What would you do differently if you could go back in time? Yeah, for sure. I think that probably the first mistake is that, as I said, in Brex, when we set SMB or startup, it was very different. Mm. And it was in our heads, it was very different that those were different things. So I think the first problem was that it was very confusing who we were and who we weren't solving for. So, you know, a few days later, we released what is the eligibility criteria. And we're hoping to get all kinds of startups, right? From, you know, the bootstrap ones that hasn't received venture funding yet, to venture funding, to crypto, right? Like that is the target audience that we do want and we do want to serve. And I think we should have made that more clear with the announcements. Like what is the eligibility criteria to stay at Brex, right? And to work with Brex. So, that was probably a big learning just in terms of how we communicated, you know, to our customers. And then I would say like, look, the, the biggest learning for me that I try to apply is sequencing instead of parallel. So try to do less things well mm. and, uh, you know, focus on them instead of trying to, you know, catch the whole world at once. Well, that's a valuable lesson. I think there are a lot of startups that have been in that position trying to do multiple things at the same time. I'm a mother, I work and... And I get it, when you try to do too many things at once, inevitably something's not gonna go right. You're, something's you know, not gonna go very well. You had mentioned that everything started breaking. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by everything started breaking? Well, I think that all the customer support lines were taking forever, <laughs> right? Imagine that. You know, the underwriting started getting more complicated because we couldn't be super nuanced about knowing every customer. It needed to be more automated, and the more automated it was, we rejected a lot of companies that weren't supposed to be rejected. That's interesting. And then um, it, it just became more complicated to operate at scale. I think when we were at startups, we could literally look every startup and make a decision and, you know, understand who are the investors, what are they doing, who are the founders. When there's 10,000 of them, it's really hard to do it in a very thoughtful way. So we had to automate it and every automation kind of fails in some way. Okay. So that was like, a, you know, a big problem. But more importantly is the convergence of roadmap didn't exist. Like a lot of the businesses were saying, hey, we want capital. We want working capital loans. We want loans so, I, you know, we can build out my restaurant or build out my, uh, my flower shop. And startups were telling us we want global, right? Like remote was happening mm -hmm. and, you know, people were hiring anywhere. They were telling we want spend management because we're now growing and we have more employees. We need to control spend. You know, we want a bunch of different things that this, the roadmaps completely diverged from uh, the small business roadmap. So that's why it was really hard. Yeah. I mean, I think 
obviously the pandemic changed a lot of things. A lot of people had to adapt and pivot in ways that they never expected. Um, so when you started out, did you imagine that like a few years later that you would be in this, in this situation with such a different roadmap, a different strategy, moving into software, a focus on enterprise? You Earlier this year, you announced DoorDash was one of your earliest customers. Like, How did you handle such a, a pivot? Yeah, for sure. So um well, before uh, the pandemic, Pedro and I, we not only did an now remote work, we were anti-remote work. We did not believe it was a viable option for, for companies. Six months into the pandemic, we announced that Brex is going to be remote first forever. So, you know, talk about someone changing their mind completely. <laughs> yeah. And I think what we saw with the pandemic is a lot of times the best kind of like business opportunities, they happen when there is a platform shift, right? So people talk about the creation of computing, right? And how that platform shift. And then we came to the internet and then we came to mobile, um, you know, and we're hoping for VR, you know, Pedro and I are not going to do it, but, you know, hopefully uh, Meta does. But we believe that this shift to distributed work is the next platform shift. And if you still believe remote or in office, like that's a whole debate. I'm not even going to get into it. But Companies are not saying, I'm going to hire in one place anymore because it's clear from the pandemic that there is talent everywhere. People are moving everywhere. Mm -hmm. And when there is this kind of like massive shift in the world that creates a lot of opportunity for businesses like Brex to create solutions for the changing world, right? So, you know, Anu said, as more companies go remote first, everyone needs to have now stipends and have lunch in the office. How do you make a really good product to make stipends work really well, right? As companies hire globally, they need to, you know, reimburse employees globally. Like, how do we do that so you can send money all around the world, right? So all these kind of, as travel came back, travel came back not in the same way. Before, travel was all about the road warriors who were visiting their customers, right, in person. Now, a lot of travel is about seeing your own coworkers, so as all the world changes, you know, it kind of like creates a lot of opportunities. So we need to pivot the business to take advantage of customer demand, right? And to, you know, build what our customers want. I get that. But how does that translate into the enterprise shift and then the software, new yeah. software focus? For sure. So the way I think about our, uh, the Brex business is I think that the first part of our journey, you know, is what I call the enablement. The first thing you need to do is you didn't have a card, we need to give you a card. You didn't have a bank account, we'll give you a business account. Or, you know, you couldn't reimburse people, you know, in the U.S. or globally, we're going to allow that to do for you, right? And that is the first iteration of our business and still something that we're building to today. But the next step is, hey, how do I make sure now your company grew a little bit that all of your spend is compliant and tax compliant, budget compliant, policy compliant, right? Like, how do you make sure that the spend is going to the right place? That is a software issue. That is like, how do we not build now financial fintech and financial infrastructure like we did for the enablement, but how do we build software to help employees and empower employees and make sure they're compliant? And if we can do it in a really smart way, right, we can accelerate companies a lot because it's just easier for everyone to do that around the organization. And that's a big shift in business model because now the buying is now, I'm not just buying something that I didn't have. Now a lot of times we're replacing something, right? And that requires a whole new motion as a company to figure that out. Can I add something to that? Please, I yeah. think that, you know, when Enrique went through YC in 2017, early 2018, he had 
I remember this vividly. He and Pedro had many arcs of product and roadmaps laid out. And so this question of, do we want to service the startup as they grow and scale? And so DoorDash is a YC company that scaled and went public, was there. It was more sequencing, which was, should we do first the late stage product or should we first do the SMB product? And at that time, I remember in 2018, when you all launched publicly, like the number one thing on the wait list are people who were waiting to sign up and get activated were SMBs. And so the call that time was, okay, we're servicing startups really well and we have these hundreds of thousands of SMBs, so let's do that first. But when the world shifted in 2020, where startups were going remote, and the early cohorts of Brex customers are now scaling. Mm-hmm. You know, the demand from those customers was very strong, and so they made the call. So it was never like totally new pivot. The product and the plan and the roadmap was there well in 2018. Interesting. Yeah. Earlier today, I also talked to a couple of other CEOs in this space: Eric Gleiman from Ramp, Dejo Cote from Airbase. In general, it's become a much more crowded space, right? I I feel like every month I'm hearing about new players. Rippling is now in spend management. Trip actions went from just travel to overall expenses. How did all this increased level of competition impact your strategy moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Look, as any founder, right, competition changes the market and you need to adapt. And as we started Brex, we had this, we were solving this problem of like people can't get a card. And we solved that problem. And now, you know, other people got inspired by that idea and, you know, are solving a similar problem. So you need to evolve and adapt after that. And I think that, you know, look, it's such a massive market, right? If you think about spend management globally, right? Corporate cards globally, it's such a massive market. And each company is approaching it in its own unique way. So I will say, I will separate our competitors in, in kind of two buckets, right? So one bucket is, you know, people whose their entire business is doing what we're doing. And each of us is trying to go to a different angle, you know, and, and, you know, obviously we think our solution is much better, but we're a little bit biased. And then there's people who are doing this as a, an add-on, right? Like just one of like 20 products that they're doing. I would say that it looks a lot easier from the outside than from the inside to do a card. It seems that with the rise of Marquette or Stripe issuing, it's very easy to now issue a card, but there's a lot more that goes into it. So it's very easy to start and have a marketing page, but it's very hard to actually scale and get meaningful traction on the card. And we had many, you know, that didn't get any traction um, between Expensify or Stripe that launched cards, and we haven't seen any disruption to our market there. So in the end of the day, I think competition makes you focus, right? Like, if you don't have good competitors, right, it doesn't push you to make it better for your customer every single day. So I think that, it's healthy. honestly, Rex is a lot better customer because we have competitors now. So just last week, I wrote about a decision that you made as a company that you lay off about 11% of your staff. It was, I think, 136 people, if I remember correctly. Um, and if I understood correctly, uh, that was in part due to your decision to stop serving SMBs. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I, I, think, I think that one of the things I'm most interested in is earlier this year, you know, you were valued at $12.3 billion, making you a decacorn. I mean, you've grown, you know, an incredible rate since you first started. How did it feel to go from, like, raising hundreds of millions of dollars at this very high valuation to having to lay off staff? Yeah, so um, obviously it's, 
an incredibly hard thing to do as CEO and founder. Like, if you think about the journey of being a CEO and founder, this is the worst part. You know, like, I can tell you there's a lot of hard stuff, but this is the worst of them. And, you know, the world, again, good companies, they are companies who see reality and adapt to the environment. And we had both the business model shift that you mentioned that, you know, was part of the reason. But second is, you know, in a world in which now profitability is, you know, and a path to profitability is very important, you need to be able to make decisions like these and focus on, on getting there. So we, we did what we had to do to keep a sustainable business. And, you know, it was super hard. But hopefully, you know, we, we felt we, we did very well for the people who left. And, you know, we, we appreciate them a lot. Are you doing any other things to help, I guess, minimize uh, cash burn? I mean, do you still have a lot of runway? And, and I know, before I forget also, I'd love to hear, are you seeing a lot of other companies go through similar trimming as well? Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to... I graduated 2001 and 2009, so those were the two times I graduated, and I know how difficult those macro cycles were. I was one of the candidates in 2001, even before my job started, that was laid off. Look, layoffs are very tough decisions. More, I mean, the macro environment that we are in right now, and that we will be at least in early 23, is so far all the signals are way worse than the last five years. So as companies and founders, our advice to companies is you have to make the hard decisions sooner. And sometimes the hard decisions are usually, you know, double down and focus on one thing. And second is building a very sustainable business that gives you the right to come through on the other side to make new bets or have the capital to grow. So from that lens, I mean, you've seen already the press, which is, you know, companies have had to make hard decisions. And I'm sure it's not something they wake up and take that in a very, like, relaxed way. It's very deliberate and well thought through. And it's hard. But I think the macro environment is quite different than anything we've seen. I mean, we often say in YC that uh, some of our companies that started in 2009 have not seen a recession until now right? It's the first time. So, but the positive thing in this is I always tell, you know, companies and founders, what doesn't kill you only makes you strong. So the most important thing is do right by our customers, use the least amount of capital to do the right thing, and then come out on the other side and then take the right to grow. Which brings back, I'm sorry, that's actually a good segue into my uh, question for you. What are you doing to, to preserve runway? What other measures are you taking to minimize cash burn right now? Yeah, for sure. I think in, um, in general, right, like every company right now is going through this exercise of looking at cost. Mm-hmm. And that actually is a massive tailwind for Brex because last year, if your product didn't help re- grow revenue, you didn't get the time of day. Now, I think as a product that helps you manage costs and understand how you're spending the money across your company, especially as you scale, you know, it is, we are getting on the time of day in, in terms of a lot of uh, new acquisition. The, the biggest cost in a startup is headcount. I would say we don't have very aggressive hiring plans anymore. And, you know, obviously we, we, we did this layoff. So those are probably the, the biggest measures. And I think as a remote first company, we also have very little offices. So that's also very helpful. And then probably the biggest thing that, you know, we want to do it is like, obviously to keep growing, we have to keep investing. And we're very committed to hiring everywhere in the world now. So we started doing in Brazil and Israel and Canada, but we hope to hire 
in a lot more countries. And I highly recommend for any founders, there are so many talented engineers all over the world. So if you haven't started hiring globally, like that's something that I highly, highly recommend you doing. And a lot of times you have people that are, you know, cheaper, that live even better because the cost of living is lower, work really hard and are really smart and talented. So. I, we've got a lot of Q&A here, so I just have one more question, then I want to get into Q&A. What are your plans for Empower, which is your new software product? And I know you talked about DoorDash, but can you talk about any other enterprise customers that you've landed since then? Yeah, for sure. So uh, today we're also announcing that we're deploying Coinbase, which is one of the companies I admire the most mm-hmm. that pioneered uh, crypto in the U.S. and, uh, you know, definitely uh, also YC company. And, you know, there's SeatGeek built and a couple other enterprise customers. There's a lot of them, but we, we need to get some authorization to talk about them. So uh, more, more on that coming soon. And I think in terms of uh, Empower, right, if you, if you think about what we're doing, as I said, we focus a lot of enablement and doing more of that globally, right? So making sure all of our products now work for companies that are globally and multinational, that's a big priority for us. And in uh, the compliance piece I was talking about is like, how do we make it extremely easy to be compliant? How do we automate receipts so no one has to do receipts anymore? Because I hate, I always lose my receipts. We all hate Um, receipts. (laughs) Yeah, everyone hates receipts. Mm -hmm. How do we, you know, automatically approve things that are in policy? How do we make it super easy for employees to know even what is the policy, right? Like, uh, how do we make stipends super easy so people are not approving the same stipends every month because it's already there? So we're making it extremely easy for employees and finance leaders to make the company compliant, which is kind of what we're focused on in Empower right now. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, we have uh, 13 minutes left. Let's dive into some of these questions. Uh, someone wants to know, what's the biggest mistake you made at Brex? Well, we probably covered it. It was trying to do too much at the same time with uh, trying to take all these markets at the same time. Okay. Someone else wants to know, though, they're asking if you can share a story from your early days where you made a big, bold ask from someone and actually got it. Anna, do you have any? I do. I have many stories of, I mean, one of the things I would say that both Enrique and Pedro are exceptionally good at as fast learners, so extremely fast learners. So one thing I remember from the batch we told them, I think uh, Dalton, actually their group partner said, well, if you're pivoting to a fintech company and you're launching this, it would be great if you can go get Max Levchin's endorsement if he actually believes in this idea. And I remember we were like, they came from Brazil. They have no idea of anything in Silicon Valley. But I remember this very well. They wanted to learn how to interview engineers in the U.S. because they had only hired in Brazil. So they went through the recruiting career services of, you know, recruiting in F for a firm at Stanford, went through the full recruiting process to learn how, you know, companies hire here, got the offer, told them that they want to meet Max Levchin before they decide. And of course, the team introduced them to Max Levchin. They pitched Brex and they got angel investing <laughs> from Max. That so is that's just, I have many such stories, but that just tells you how resourceful and deliberate they are and their ability to learn. A question also specifically geared toward you. How do you at YC support startups like Brex when they scale from zero to one and then from one to scale? So yes, I help lead the continuity fund for those of you, along with Ali Rogani, for those of you that, that are not familiar. 
Continuity was launched seven years ago within YC. We do two things. One is, you know, double down in a select subset of YC companies that are breaking out. And two, we actually help them. We run the post-batch YC programming. So for companies that are scaling, what we really focus on is helping them with company building. So, you know, especially when the CEO is managing 30 employees and going from 30 to 100 or 200, you know, it's the, pretty much the first time they're managing that many people. So what we do is really helping them focus on how to hire senior leaders, how to onboard them, how to do performance management, compensation philosophy. But we're really using the collective knowledge of the YC community, the scaled YC founders who share their learnings and lessons. So that's really where we focus. Another question that I thought was interesting. Brex is in part known for kind of what you might describe as flashy marketing. We talked about the billboards, yacht parties. I think you had a cafe at one point. We did. Yeah, right. I visited today, actually. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. But you no longer. No, not anymore. Um, So the the actual question is, why is that kind of spending worthwhile amidst a market downturn? Well, most of the... Let's, uh, let's, Let's separate into... So there's the stuff we did in the early days, and there's the stuff we do now. Um, in the early days, the famous story is that we actually bought almost every billboard in San Francisco. And because there's actually not a lot of people buying billboards, everyone only wanted to do it Google and Facebook ads because it was so easy to track conversion rates and measure. We actually bought most of the billboards in San Francisco for three months for $300,000. $300,000? dollars yeah. Wow. Which, you know, may seem like a lot of money. We had raised around $60 million at the time, so it wasn't... Uh, Huge for us, but it was massively successful. We definitely got way more than that in revenue in the first month that, that we did that. And obviously, billboards got more expensive. Maybe they're cheaper now, actually, after the pandemic. But, <laughs> you know, obviously, like, uh, billboards. And then after we did it, a lot of people did it. So, you know, it got more expensive. So I think, like, every time coming up with, like, what are people not doing, right? Like, what are the opportunities that not everyone is doing right now? Because if everyone is doing it, then it doesn't work. So we were always trying to do new things. Some of them worked, some of them didn't work. Uh, the cafe, clearly, after the pandemic, didn't work. But, you know, you got to keep trying stuff, and, uh, and some of them do. I think these days, look, Brex is extremely structured in terms of budgets, CAC, paybacks. And a lot of when we talk to our startup customers, they always say that community is one of the most important things for them. It's like they love being a Brex customer because of the community of Brex customers. You know, doing events and parties and things that put the community together is core part of our strategy. And it's one of the ways we differentiate and build relationship with our customers. So one thing as a startup is like, you know, as much as you'd like, you can't save your way to a successful startup. Um, You need to invest and you need to do things. You just need to be thoughtful, right? And make sure that the money is going to the right places and it's not being wasted. Well, and we touched on earlier all these competitors. And and one of the questions here is, or statement, ramp better than Brex. Why is this statement false? I'd like to expand that to maybe a little bit more generally. Why would you say that what makes Brex so much better in your view than all these other offerings? Or I guess, why why do you believe that Brex is so much better than all these other offerings? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I would separate in two segments. So let's start with startups, and then I'll go to kind of like more mid-market enterprise. For startups, I would say Brex is best for one, you can have all in one place, right? So you have your credit cards, you have your business accounts, you have bill pay, you have expense management, you have venture debt, you have financial modeling, 
all integrated one place, right? So it's super easy to have everything one place, easy to start, easy to manage. So that's number one. Number two is we can go with you from the beginning till IPO plus. Like I told you about DoorDash, I told you about Coinbase, Scale AI started when there were two people. Now they're, you know, I think close to a thousand still of Brex. Flexport started out pretty small, also a couple thousand people. So if you start with Brex, you can scale all the way through. I think a lot of our competitors, we see people churning off of them as they grow as well. And then number three is global. Brex has a massive commitment to global companies, right? Like that's a big journey. It's a complicated problem. So if you are a startup or a mid-market enterprise company and you plan on hiring outside of the U.S., you plan on having operations outside of the U.S., there's no competitor of Brex right now that's investing more in making that successful. So I would say that's probably like the three for the startup world, the three reasons I would describe as kind of the differentiators of Brex. Two other quick questions related to that answer. One, who would you say is a Brex competitor? And then you talked about global company. Do you believe post-pandemic, now that you know remote is still a thing, but not quite what it was, that it's still viable to create a global company from anywhere, or does it really make a difference for an employee to be US-based? Sorry, three, two questions at you at the same time. Yeah, so I'll start with the second one, which is if you're going to start a company. uh, So, well, the first one is easy. So who is the Brex competitor? So we actually, in fintech, we have a lot of uh, frenemies, you know? I think that's like the thing. So if you think about all the banks, right, and all the fintech companies, they all work with each other, and at the same time, they all use each other too. Right. Right? So, you know, JP Morgan has a corporate card, but we, you know, use JP Morgan for a bunch of stuff. And I think that that is, you know, we, we concur as somewhat of a competitor to us on spend management, but we also integrate concur mm-hmm. for customers that are joint customers, right? So in fintech world, we have a lot of people who kind of overlap in parts of the process, right? So Rippling is the other example that you mentioned that, you know, launch a, like Jacquard and spend management, but, you know, they're a great integration partner for HRIS. So it's something that's pretty common in our industry. And, you know, it's something you have to learn how to deal with if you're doing it. In terms of like where to start, I believe in a world that no matter where you were born, you can have the same economic opportunity if you're born in Silicon Valley, right? Like, but I don't think we're there yet. I was born in Brazil and I got to the point of my company in which I had to decide, do I sell my company and move to the US to try to go big there or do I stay here and build this company? And I believe that in order to be successful, I had to be here. And I think that's definitely the trend is going the other direction now. Mm -hmm. Many successful companies are being started from many places in the world. And I hope Brex can be a part on, you know, pushing that shift forward. Because I do want to leave, you know, a world to my kids where that is true. And you can start a company from everywhere and be as successful as starting here in the U.S. I'd add that for, uh, from YC standpoint, I would say, You know, I still think when you're starting out a company like scratch, there's benefit to being in person because you're brainstorming and you don't even have a product that works and you need to get it to work and talk to users and figure out if you have early signs of some product market fit. Is that a company to be built? But once you get to around 100, 150 employees, it's really hard to scale in Bay Area. That was true even in 2018, pre-pandemic. Right? You, yeah, you we opened the New York office you, 80 people. Yeah, and if, you know, there's another YC company, FAIR, which has scaled really well. They have around 350 engineers. Any guesses how many are in the Bay Area? Three. 
So I think more startups will start globally just because there are amazing engineers working on startups everywhere. So there'll be more companies that start everywhere. But when you're starting, no matter which part of the world you're in, it helps to be in person. As you're scaling, you inevitably, I think, in the future, are going to have to find a way to scale remotely or have some part of your organization remote. We only have two minutes, and, and I am under strict orders not to go over time. So I'm going to uh, ask one more question, and then we'll, we'll have to wrap it up. Um, as young founders, I think this is really interesting. As young founders, how did you convince experienced engineers to join Brex? We've been building companies since we're, we're 14. Um, so we get that question for, for a long time. And I think that What's important when hiring people that are more experienced than you is you think that a lot of the convincing is like, oh, my company will be successful. And there's obviously some of that. But a lot of times, senior people, they want to feel impact. They want to feel that they actually going to come in and you're going to listen to them. And the reality is, you know, when we started our first company, we were 16. The only option we had was listening to them. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't know anywhere, anything else. Like, how else would we know? So I think we have this culture of when we go to hire senior people, engineers or non-engineers, you know, what we say is like, look, you can make a real difference here. Like, we will listen to you. We will push back, but we will listen to you and you will have impact and we will build this company together. And I think that's probably like when you're young, you're just thinking that you're just trying to convince everyone that you're right and that the company is going to be successful. But just as important is convincing them that they're going to be a great partner to you and you're going to grow together and build this company together. Okay, well, we made it. 30 seconds left. Thank you both so much for being here, um, answering all of these questions. Thank you all for attending and all of your great questions. And have a great day. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having us. Equity Wednesdays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter, Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Cal Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week.